good to be together on this Lord's Day evening. I want to start off by talking about these things. I wonder, just, I won't have you raise your hand, but uh, is there anybody who doesn't have something like this probably with them tonight? Do you remember what life was like before smartphones? So I remember whenever the first iPhone came out in 2007, and um, I, was, I, I was a guy that refused, for my own weird reasons, to have a mobile phone. I refused to have, I, would, I didn't even want to wear a watch. I just, I just, just didn't want to be like tied down everywhere I go to something. I can always figure out what time it is. I can always figure, I can always find a phone. I can always find the information. But when the iPhone came out, I thought, okay, this could be a game changer. This I need because whenever I would sit down at my office at work and in, in my office with kind of the cockpit that I had set up, right? I had everything I needed at my fingertips. All my information, you know, my calendar, my schedule, my contacts, my email. But honestly, the thing I was most excited about was to have the knowledge of the internet with me at all times. Anytime, you know, there used to be this thing where you would sit there with you know, your friend and think, oh, I've seen that actress in something before. What was it? And it would bother you all night. And then like the next day you would think of it. Now, if you're wondering what she was in, what do you do? Look it up. Google it. IMDB, whatever. Yeah, you just pull up the Google machine and you find out the answer to anything that you want to know. You can search for anything. I mean, all of the knowledge, and it is an extraordinary amount of knowledge, of humankind is at your fingertips at all times. You just search. And you can ask big questions. You can ask, why is the sky blue? Google will tell you. There's an answer. Big, hard-to-answer questions, like... How big, based on our best estimate, is the universe? How vast is the entire universe? And you'll get a pretty good estimate. The best we know. You can even ask really important questions. <laughs> like, what should I get my wife for my anniversary? Google has an answer. Google usually, it's a little scary how much they know about you and your wife's interests sometimes. Are there some things that are unsearchable? I went into Google and I asked, how do I live forever? And here's what I got. Immortal robot humans. This is, I promise you, the the first result that came up. A science uh, insider video on immortal robot humans. That's the best we got. Outside of divine revelation, of course. You ask, what's the meaning of life? So I looked this up. I asked, I typed exactly that. Here's what I got. A definition of the word life. (laughs) 
What's the meaning of life? Life is the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity, and continual change preceding death. That's not what I meant. I mean, what makes it meaningful? What makes it more than just what you know, a dog sitting on the sidewalk is experiencing? What makes it more purposeful and full and rich? Is there anything more to this than just surviving and eating and drinking, coming to the end of our days as making it as long as possible? There is, and there is an answer. But you have to look somewhere else. Some things you, you can't just find from science you can't just find from looking at the history of mankind. There's even questions that atheists will say. Yeah, okay, you have good answers to those things. But what about questions like this? Why do bad things happen? If God is so good and so powerful, why do bad things happen? Well, that's a good question. And there, there is an answer to that. I'm not going to spend the whole sermon on that. We've spent time on that before. Or... Why does God do confusing things? Why does God do things that you don't understand? I mean, in the Bible, there are things that are really hard to get your mind completely around. But all of these questions, every one of them, including those last two, are within the context of this lesson. That there is something that is unsearchable. I want to dive into this word. Actually, if you Google the word unsearchable or look it up in your Bible software, you're going to find some important information. You find that God's greatness is unsearchable. This is a Bible word, unsearchable. The Greek word for unsearchable, and we'll get to some more passages that talk about unsearchable. The Greek word is uh, a word that comes from, it's an adjective that comes from a noun for tracks or footprints. And the idea seems to be that you can't track it. You can't, if you walked all around, you couldn't map it out. It is too vast to walk across and measure. It is too big a space to possibly even get your brain around, much less walk out a border. There are no borders to it. Uh, other language experts talk about it as a, a unfathomable depth that no matter how far you try to bring your sounding, you can never reach the bottom of it, is what this word is about. It's unsearchable. It's beyond fully grasping. And the psalmist says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You know, God's decisions are unsearchable. In Romans 11, at the end of a really rich but challenging discussion of God and his history with Israel and how he chose this people, but he's, he's saving those who will believe and the gospel is for them if they will receive it, but also for the Gentiles. And there is this wonderful, immeasurable truth and, and richness to the mystery that God is revealing. And Paul just is, it seems, overwhelmed with just how great God is as he comes to this 
this wrapping up this particular part of the book of Romans. And he says, oh, the depth of the riches. Right? Come back to that word riches. Riches often go with unsearchable in the Bible. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And that word for judgments might even better be translated decisions. Like that's what a judgment is, right? You're making a decision about something, whether it's a decision about you know, a, a person or a decision about what is right and what is wrong, what should happen. And, and what, what Paul is saying is, you Jews, you Gentiles, everybody out there, God's decisions, whether you get them, whether you thought that was what you expected, whether you even like them or not, they are unsearchable. They are beyond. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. And God does unsearchable things. You know, we're going to talk about Job. I'm, I'm going to be teaching a class on Job in a couple sessions. I can't wait. And Job's friends got some things wrong. But there's some things I think they got right. <laughs> As they were talking to Job and saying, you do realize that God is really beyond our understanding. It says in Job 5.9, God who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? He later talks about in chapter 36, verse 26, the unsearchable years of God. The truth is, a small, fathomable God is an unscriptural God. You know, um, Job really found this out, right? This is kind of what the whole book of Job is about, right? Is that Job thought he had a better answer to what God should have done, right? And so Job is going through all of these, all of these trials, and he doesn't understand it. And he never really is given the insight that we are given at the beginning of the book of Job about this exchange between God and Satan. But he is given an encounter with Almighty God. And God quizzes him. God says, okay, why don't you tell me how big the ocean should be and where it should end and how I should run this whole bringing rain and snow thing. And where do you know where the mountain goats go whenever they're, they're going to be? It's mating season. I can tell you because I designed it all. And the point was, I am dealing with, thing, uh, with an infinite complexity in the decisions and the thinking that I have. And the answer is not to understand me, but to trust me. Because I, God says, am trustworthy. I'm worth it. You'll be glad you did. You just trust me. And Job, at the end of all of this, having seen God and says, saying, uh, before I had heard of you, but now I know who you are. Job has an insight that, that is transformational. 
by, by coming to understand that God is worthy of trusting. There's an interesting quote from Augustine. Uh, Michael said we shouldn't be speaking in tongues this morning. Um, so I've, <laughs> okay, well, I've got an interpretation here, so we're good. So this is Latin, I think, which I don't speak, but uh, he said, si comprehendus non est deus. It just sounds cool when you, you put some Latin into a sermon, but, but then the, the translation is, if you understand, it is not God. In other words, he's saying, and of course he's an uninspired uh, figure, but he's saying, if you think you've got it all figured out and you've got God in a box that you've measured and made sense of in every way, you've missed something about who God is. And if God seems, if you're having a hard time getting your brain around, how does this whole Trinity thing work? Why would God do the things he does? How could God love the way he does? How could God know ahead of time and work out these things? If you're baffled by it, you're probably starting to get a corner on who God is. Let's look to an inspired prophet who kind of said the same thing. Flip with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 40. This is one of those great passages, and we won't read the whole thing, though. It is worth reading (laughs) again and again. It's so comforting. He's trying to bring comfort to God's people throughout this, this whole passage. And towards the end, he's speaking to a people, though though it's a people in the future. He's speaking to a people who are going to be in who are in exile. He's speaking into these these people's lives, and he's telling them, "God knows your situation. God gets it. You did not slip beyond God's reach. God did not make a mistake. There's not something that happened that God didn't account for." There's not an intractable problem by you being in Babylon far from Jerusalem and Jerusalem being fallen. You need to start. And all of God's people have to come back again and again by starting with who God is. Most of our problems of faith, many of our problems of life come from bad theology, either thinking too small about God, not thinking clearly about who God reveals himself to be in the Bible, Or not thinking about God enough. Just not meditating on who God is. He is worth thinking about. Be still and know I am God, the psalmist says. That changes you. In other words, be still as in stop trying. Stop stop striving. just, Just quit it. Just be still for a minute and know something. There's going to be things for you to do, of course. You obey God. You do what you can do. But we have to get that our lives, the world, our salvation is in the hands of God and know who God is. So he says, let's go back a little bit. Um, Go back to uh, verse 12. Of Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who's taken the Pacific and the Atlantic and put it in the, in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a ruler, just a God-sized yardstick? 
He's using figurative language to help us try to see how great God is, right? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, all the sands of the earth. Weighed the mountains in scales. He's got these scales and he puts Everest on it. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? You want to give God advice? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Get a giant five-gallon bucket and all the powers of China and Russia and the United States are a drop in it. It's nothing compared to his power. We could throw in there Babylon and Assyria and Egypt and Rome, right? Drop in the bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. And then he starts posing questions. Let me ask you something. To whom will you liken God? Who do you want to compare God to? What's the greatest figure you can think of? Like, to compare God to anyone is blasphemy. He is, everything else is not in the same conversation. What likeness will we compare him with? An idol? Of course not. And he speaks of the foolishness of idolatry. And he asks another question in verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are, its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spread them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them in the stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Holy means totally different than anything else. Set apart. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these things? He who brings out their host by numbers. The one that calls the stars out and says, you go there, you go there. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. God doesn't know what's going on with me. He hasn't been here in my prayers, it seems like, so he must have lost track of me in the shuffle of all the business of heaven. Or maybe he just doesn't care. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Ray and I were talking this afternoon a little bit about how it's hard getting old. Right, Ray? 
And I, I'm, I'm, I can't talk about that. People would throw tomatoes at me if I talk about the pains of being, getting old. But I know it better than Seth does, okay? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's tough. But, you know, I have played soccer with those guys over there, and they get tired too. Josh and Landon and Seth. But the one who waits on the Lord will never run out of strength, will never utterly lose heart and hope because our trust is in the one who is an inexhaustible, unsearchable, unfathomable source of strength and hope and power to keep going to the end. Here's the paradox, though. All of this is beyond our imagination, and yet it's knowable. God himself is beyond imagining, and yet, by his choice, he makes himself knowable. Paul has a long discourse about this in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, and he talks about in 2 verse 9, what no eye has seen, nor eye has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Who can search the unsearchable God? Well, God the Spirit. (laughs) The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit searches. And the next verse says, we now have things. Nobody knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit of man within him. And nobody knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God has spoken to us with words revealing spiritual truths, verse 13 says. So God draws near to us the the great God beyond imagining takes on flesh in Jesus Christ, experiences all the little things that we go through. The great God who we couldn't figure out how to articulate anything about if he didn't reveal himself, uses human language to communicate what we need to know so that we can know him. Paul talks about this in um, chapter 3 of Ephesians. I want to spend a little time in Ephesians as we kind of come to a, a close here in a little bit. So Paul is talking about how he has been given this, this job of revealing the mystery. And he says, when you read this, when you read this letter, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ in Ephesians 3, verse 4. And then he says, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. These riches are unsearchable, and yet he's preaching them. This is a treasure that you can't exhaust. It's a treasure that every time you you come upon it, you discover something new. It's a treasure of, of wisdom, of knowledge, of understanding, of grace, of love that you never stop taking from, receiving from. And we can understand the mystery. Not all of it. It's, it's, it's unmappable. And yet, 
we have a doorway to enter that inexhaustible territory. Does that make sense? We have, we have a, a bucket that we can drop into this un, unfathomable well. We can keep coming again and again to the unsearchable riches of Christ. In other words, God, though transcendent, is close to us because he chooses to be close to us in Jesus Christ and in his word as we draw near to him. And so throughout Ephesians, then he talks about these blessings, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And the book, the word riches is used twice in chapter 1, and then we'll look at it in chapter 2 of, of Ephesians as well. The unsearchable riches. We have all these blessings. It says in chapter 2, verse 7, that we've been saved so that God might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You can see... Um, why Landon chose those songs. Boy, sometimes when somebody picks songs, you can tell this is somebody that loves to sing just by the songs they pick. <laughs> I love those songs, Landon. Uh, the depth and the mercy and the, of, of the riches of God's grace. Wonderful grace of Jesus. Wonderful grace. Grace is a favor that we never merit, we never earn, and yet it's ever abundant. It's always rich. It's always full. You can't, you know, I used to watch a cartoon where uh, a duck, Uncle Scrooge, would dive into this storehouse of full of, of uh, gold coins. And he'd just swim in this gold. He was so rich, he could just swim in his money. You know, imagine walking through Fort Knox and seeing stacks of gold. Do they even, I don't know if they even have, have that anymore, right? Uh, if they have gold. But, if, but all that money, right? God has a storehouse that is infinite. His riches of grace and goodness to gift us with. That's what grace is. Something that is gifted. It's a favor that is given full of blessings. And then he continues in chapter 3, the verses right after uh, what we read a minute ago, to talk about the riches of his glory and love. According to the riches of his glory, I'll turn over here to Ephesians 3 for a moment. So he's saying a prayer. He says, So I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Okay, so, I mean, Paul is very verbose here, but did you follow what was happening there? He's saying, here's my prayer. I want you to have enough strength in your inner being to be able to grasp something. There's something you need to, be gra- to grasp. Um, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, how broad is it, What is the length, what is the height, and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What I want you to know is a love that is not fully knowable, but I want you to start comprehending it. He's praying that the Ephesians, and we could say by extension, he wants all, all of God's people to be able to comprehend 
the breadth and the depth and the love, the vastness. We sing those songs about if I could make the whole sky a parchment, I could use all of the ink of the ocean and, and write out the love of God, it would be too small. Right? Why is it such a big deal to think about God's love? Isn't that a little squishy? Isn't that a little soft? What's the big deal about that? I hope you you know what the big deal is. When you get, just start to get how loved you are by God, it will change your life. It changes us, right? There is, there is a grounding, he says, and a rooting in love. Uh, Ralph was preaching this morning about things we want to give our kids. We want them to walk in uprightness, right? We want them to know God. We want them to know the stories. Ultimately, we want them to have their feet on the ground, rooted and grounded in God's love, so that they know who they are. I am the one that Jesus loves. They know why they obey. They know why they trust. Because God loves me and he's going to always tell me the best thing to do. You can settle into that love. You can just just know God is with me and there's nothing that can separate me from his love. It's unsearchable. And then he talks about this unthinkable power. Make sure I didn't skip something. Yeah, this unthinkable power. And this is, these are the next verses right after this. I should say 20 and 21. He says, coming to a word of praise, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. I always like the NIV. There's a, a song version that, ha, that, that I heard when I was younger that's t- set to the NIV that says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's unthinkable. It's unimaginable. I can imagine so much. I have a little bit too much imagination sometimes. But whatever I can imagine, God's power is bigger. God can do more. But what he wants us to get is not just that God is so, so great but that that is the power that's at work in you. Access the power of God, of Christ, the power of Christ's resurrection, the power of God's spirit, the power of God's life in you, the power that, that changes us, right? The power of God's love. We, how do we access it? Well, we're doing it right now, right? I hope you're being encouraged by the word of God. Strengthened as he pours out his goodness into our hearts. Helps us to know that he's with us. If we hold on to him, we'll get through. And whatever the challenge that you're facing, different than the challenge I'm facing, he's with you in it. He'll help us through it. The power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And then I want to jump, just this is my last blessing point here, jump to Philippians, which 
this verse talks about one more thing beyond understanding, right? The peace that passes all understanding. And he said, this verse comes after he says, if you pray to God with thanksgiving and you pour out your, rather than being anxious, you pray to God, pour out your concerns to God, and then trust him. You have this peace that you can't achieve by Googling. This peace that all the plans of man cannot give you. And it's not something that you just permanently have. You'll get anxious again, right? You'll get worried again. You'll get, you'll, you, there's, I mean, maybe you're better at this than me, but I, I have to work for this, fight for this by coming back and remind, remembering to trust God, praying to God, giving my concerns, as, as Peter says, casting all my anxieties before him because he cares for me. First uh, Peter 5, 7. So I was nervous doing this because, not nervous, but um, I feel like I owe Jeff an apology for putting the Google logo up there for the whole thing. <laughs> Jeff is not a fan of Google. A lot of us aren't a fan of Google in some ways, though we all use it. <laughs> but what is a Google? Asher loves big numbers. So he's talked to us about Googles and Googleplexes for a long time. Uh, but a Google is 10 to the 100th power, which is 1 followed by 100 zeros. A Google is larger than the number of elementary particles in the universe, which amount to only 10 to the 80th power. It is an unfathomably large number, and yet we can put a number on it. So you know what? A Google is way too small a number to measure anything about God. So then we bring our, our questions. Can I trust even when I don't get it? God's ways are unsearchable, and he's worth trusting. Is this a problem beyond even God? I, I know that you can do amazing things, God, but this one seems like an intractable problem. God's power and his goodness are unsearchable. I'm not saying he will fix every problem. In the end, there won't be problems in the new heavens and new earth, but there isn't a problem too big for him. If we will walk with him, he will lead us. He will bless us. And there is no sin so great that it's just going to keep us from him. I don't know if you've ever gotten stuck in one of those loops. Like, like I, I'm, I can't seem to, to, to bring myself to believe that God is, is willing and able to forgive this, even though I know the doctrine of this, that, that God forgives everything. Um, I remember as a young person, I had, I had real trouble with the idea of grace. And, and with trusting, just letting go of all the things that I was holding on to about what I thought it should be and, and deciding to trust God does forgive. God does forgive me. God has forgiven me when I've turned to him. John says, um, when our hearts condemn us, he is greater than our hearts. First John 2. God's grace is unsearchable. If you are in your sins, 
far from God. God stands with unsearchable, immeasurable grace ready to forgive. Wider love than you can imagine shown to us most clearly on a cross where Jesus died. You can confess your faith in Jesus. You can be baptized into Jesus. If you have wandered away and you want us to support you in some way, we're a family. We're here to, to just lift each other up. We can pray together. Uh, if there's something you need to let, let the congregation know, some change in your life of uh, where you were walking in the wrong way and you want the congregation to be aware that you're on the right path. I mean, if there's some way spiritually that we can serve you, we invite you to come forward while we stand and sing.